Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you. Food bloggers who are seeking value for their blogs and also looking to make improvements in their lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Stephanie Lynch from sunshinekitchen.com, and we will be discussing food photography on a budget. As a mother of two busy kids, Stephanie knows how hard it can be to plan and make meals. Between school, events, and other commitments, it's hard to find time for much else. Stephanie's food blog, Sunshine Kitchen, was created to help other busy parents discover new recipes and learn cooking tips so they can create amazing meals for their families. Hey, Stephanie, I am so excited to chat with you today about food photography on a budget. But before we dive into this topic, take just a minute to give us a quick fun fact about yourself. Definitely. Hey, Megan, it's so great to talk to you and all your listeners. Yeah. So, One fun fact, um, I was born and raised in Florida, Florida girl through and through. I'm in Texas right now, but my heart still lies in Florida. I went to UCF and my husband and I actually met playing ultimate Frisbee at midnight. (gasps) So that's something fun that we like, we worked that into our wedding. We had Frisbees for our favors with our name and date on them. I love that. What a unique way to meet somebody. Yeah. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Now let's get to our main topic today and the reason you are here, how to take food photos for your food blog on a limited budget. As we all know, food blogging can get so expensive if we're not careful just focusing on food photography alone. And that is not to mention video and other things involved. We've got cameras, we have lenses, lighting, backdrops, props, and on and on and on. This can be super overwhelming for someone just starting out and really really expensive too if we are not informed about how to wisely pick and choose what we are spending our money on. So Stephanie, take us through some of the different pieces of equipment needed to take pretty pictures and how food bloggers can find affordable options for each. So I think let's start maybe with cameras and lenses. Sure. I've always been into photography. I've been a scrapbooker my whole life. Um, So I've always had a good camera. I have a Sony Alpha camera. I've had it for many, many years. But I also know a lot of people who just use one of the newer iPhones. They actually take really good photos compared to especially iPhones just a few years ago. So, I mean, it's one of those, if you don't want to spend the money on one of the DSLR cameras, something bigger like that, you know, you can can get away sometimes with your phone. You're, You're a little more limited. But if you're looking to start on the lower end, you know, most people have a camera phone that has a decent camera on it. Like I said, I use my Sony Alpha. I've had it for years. You don't need to go out and buy. There's like the three, four, five thousand dollar cameras. You don't need those. I always say start somewhere, right? Like if you have something and it's keeping you from starting food blogging, I always recommend just like get started on your phone. Exactly. Get started on your phone. There's also some really good like point and shoot cameras. You know, they don't have the interchangeable lenses and all that stuff, but just just some of the point and shoots actually take really decent photos as well. I have one that I bought on Amazon because it's waterproof. So again, Florida girl, we're in the water all the time. <laughs> but it was only it was only two hundred dollars and it takes almost as good of photos as 
my DSLR camera. That's amazing. What brand is that point and shoot that you use? It's also a Sony. I've only ever had Sony cameras. That's all I use. (laughs) Yeah. And you're right. I think the newer iPhones are remarkably different from just iPhones from two years ago. I have an older iPhone and my photos are not very good on there, but I've noticed other photos from iPhones that are way more recent and they're so good. The The quality is amazing. Yeah, I have the iPhone 8 Plus and for a long time, that's what I was doing my photos on just because honestly, it was easier to grab that out of my pocket than it was to get my big camera out. So I used that for the first probably two years of my food blog was just using my phone. So if somebody does invest in a DSLR, what do you recommend for lenses? Because those can get really expensive too. Well, most cameras, when you buy them, like the, the lower end ones, again, not your three, $4,000 cameras, they all come with what they call the kit lens. And those, they're, they're a pretty good place to start because they come with the camera. So you're not spending any extra money. The only other two that I'd recommend, we pretty much always use the prime lens. It's a 50 millimeter. They they call it prime because you can't zoom it in and out. So it's just at one set focal length, but you can get that better aperture, the better depth of field when you have a prime lens. Yes. The only other one that I know people use, I hardly ever use mine, is the macro if you're trying to get really up close to food. I'm doing full meals most of the time, so I don't need to get those little tiny details. But if you're looking for detailed photography, that's where you want more of the macro lens. The prime lens that you mentioned, you can get those so affordably. I think I have a 50 millimeter that I got for right around $100, which is for the quality that it produces. That's really a good deal. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I think mine was 200, but it it depends on what aperture you're trying to get down to. That's actually where the price tends to go up the most on them. And then what do you think about lens rentals? Have you ever considered something like that? I haven't, mostly because Sony is very particular with who can sell and rent and do all that with their cameras and their lenses and everything. So most of the rental places only have Canon and Nikon. So I haven't really had much opportunity to do that just because my camera is a Sony, like I said. So they don't they don't really let stores rent their lenses. That is an option, though, for Canon and Nikon users, because I just strongly believe in figuring out what you like and what is going to work for you before massively investing in it. There are online rentals that you can do. I know that a lot of major cities have camera and lens rental stores that you can go to and just grab them for a few days or like a week. And it's fairly affordable. So I think that is always a good option before you put that investment into a lens and a camera. Yeah, you could do both. And and the good thing about renting, like you said, too, is and like I was saying, there's, there's multiple types of lenses. You might find, you might think you're going to use a macro all the time, rent it and realize you don't really like how you take photos with it and how it works. So that way you can spend a little bit more, you know, you, you spend the money to rent it, but you still save the money in buying the lens that you're never going to use. Yeah, that's a good point. Just knowing what kind of lens you like, because there is a huge difference between fixed and macro. And it they're very different. Like the way that you approach kind of your scene is very different. So just kind of figuring out what your style is and what works for you. Have you experimented with lenses that you can attach to your camera on your phone? I have not tried any of those. I haven't either. I was curious because 
I've seen people using them just out and about, like in public, but I haven't heard anyone talk about using them with food blogging. That would be an affordable option too, right? Because I'm sure they're fairly inexpensive as well. Yeah, I was gonna say I think those are cheaper than the the lenses for you know an SLR camera and everything. Yeah, I mean if if it's again, I think it just depends a lot on what you're comfortable with. And a lot of it depends on the space you have. Like if you don't have the space to be able to stand back and get that nice full photo in, you might want a macro lens because your camera is going to be closer to the subject than if you have like the 50 prime, I have to be farther away from it to be able to take a photo. So if you're working in an, uh, in like in a small kitchen, for example, you might not have the space to get one of the bigger lenses. Right. Do you do a lot of your shots from above? You mentioned that you do scenes as opposed to like close-ups. I prefer like the, the about 45 degree angle shots where it's you know not on the side because food, most food doesn't photograph well straight on from the side that I've noticed. I do, I say I do. My husband lately has been taking up the photography side of it. Uh, we work together on all of this. I started it. I love writing the blog posts. I love cooking the food. He has taken over the creative side of the photos. Um, so he does a lot of the, like I said, like the 45 degree. And then we do try to do a top down of almost every recipe just because some of them look better that way. Sometimes that's better for posting on Instagram, for example, you know, so we try to get quite a few angles. I mean, on average for one recipe, he probably takes about 50 photos and I end up with about five to 10 of them that we, that we keep, but we take it just a whole bunch. Cause sometimes it looks a lot different on the camera than it does once you get it on the computer. Oh my gosh. That's so true. <laughs> Before we move on to backdrops, do you have any other recommendations for cameras and lenses on a budget? Like I said, start small. I mean, you don't need anything crazy because especially if it's just going on blogs, you're not trying to blow these up to poster size, wall size photos. So you you don't need the ones that do, you know, huge, huge photos because you're not, you're not expanding them that big. I mean, what's the biggest they're going to be online? Probably a thousand pixels. You know what I mean? So, so you don't need the ones with like the 20 megapixel camera because you're never going to use all of that. You're not going to probably be on a billboard or putting, putting your sandwiches on a billboard. Right. <laughs> Backdrops are one of those things I think we all get sucked into because they can be so pretty. What are some options for getting our hands on affordable backdrops? Most of my backdrops are scrap pieces of wood. My, my husband and his dad both do a lot of woodworking. Just It's what they enjoy doing, especially my father-in-law. And there's so many times that he'll have a piece of wood left over from this project or that project and we'll get some stain and we'll stain the wood and we'll stain it different colors on both sides. And that's, that's most of my backdrops. We, we also replaced our part of our fence recently. So I had my husband take some of those fence boards and we put them, lined them up together and cut them to a, a workable size inside the house. And that's one of my favorite backdrops now is just having the old fence boards basically lined up. It looks like an old distressed picnic table. That is so resourceful. And I like that you just found an avenue that was really non-conventional, like <laughs> looking at pieces of wood and just putting it together. But I think that we all get to that point where we see the need to do that because like I mentioned, they can be so expensive. I mean, you see these pretty options available online and you're like, oh, I want that. But they're like hundreds of dollars. So I think it's really 
really important to just look around your world. And it's great that your husband and your father-in-law are into that because that's perfect. It serves you well. But I think that there are so many other options too, besides just wood. Do you have any other recommendations for affordable backdrops? One other thing that I have done, and we don't use it as much just because the style that I prefer, I like the wood look, but I do have a couple where I've gotten some of those pieces of scrap wood, or even if you go to your, your local home store, you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, whatever you have close, you can buy the really thin wood for pretty cheap and then have it cut down to size. And I've gone on Amazon and bought contact paper that looks like marble. So then it's just, you know, it's sticky on the back. So you just cut that to the size of your wood and stick it to the wood and that keeps it flat and keeps it straight for you. But then it looks like I have a black marble, I have a white marble. So I have multiple options more than just what my kitchen counter currently looks like. The peel and stick granite that you just mentioned is my absolute favorite. And that is what I currently use. I love the white marble. You can just go onto Amazon and buy that for like, you can buy a huge roll, which is like feet and feet of it that you can reuse for like, I don't know, $20 or something like that. I think they were like 10, 15 bucks for some of them. Yeah. Super affordable. So it's it's definitely much more affordable than like going and buying the couple hundred dollars one. So I think if you can, if you just look around, like in your own garage, there's probably stuff you could use or up in the attic or whatever. Um, my father-in-law has gotten a few things from um, when he goes for walks in the morning. There's sometimes stuff like that out in the trash that you could actually just clean up and, and you know, then you're not paying anything for that. Even like foam boards, you know, the ones that you can get from like Michael's or any crafty store, they sell like the thicker version. So they're not quite as bendy. I want to say they're probably an inch thick. So those are pretty sturdy. And I used to use those just putting the peel and stick granite right on those. And then I noticed they were bending, but those are like two, three, four dollars for a big foam board. So that is a very affordable option. But then you mentioned the boards that you can buy in Home Depot or Lowe's or Menards. Those are a little sturdier. So I think those would probably be a better option, but more expensive. I think they're like $20, $30 maybe. If you just want to get started, I love the idea of buying a $4 piece of foam board and putting peel and stick granite on it or even painting it, right? Have you ever experimented with anything like that? I haven't tried that yet, but that's the next thing I want to try because I've seen where you can, you can almost sponge it to make it give that kind of concrete type look. Um, so that's, that's one that I, that's what I was going to say too, when you were mentioning the foam board, is that something else you could do is kind of use a sponge or whatever to, to paint it and, and give it different looks. And the only nice thing about the foam board versus the scraps of wood is they're a lot lighter for moving around. Like, I, I, again, I have I have two young boys. They're four and six. So we don't keep this stuff out because they would be all over it. <laughs> yeah. so it's, all in, it's in my bedroom closet. So every time we go to take photos, I have to pull the props and the backdrops and all that stuff out of the closet. So when we have, like, especially the fence board one, that thing's heavy. Yeah. So moving that back and forth. So if you can get away with, the, like, the foam board or even the thicker ones for a while, they're much lighter and easier to move around when you need to. Yeah, those heavy boards that I get from Home Depot are very, very heavy. It would be a lot more efficient, I think, if you could get away with using a foam board, like you said. In episode 13, so a few episodes ago, I talked to Taryn Soli from Hot Pan Kitchen, and she had the idea to go again to like a Home Depot or something and buying ceramic tiles to 
piece together. I thought that was brilliant. I have never thought of that. So that's another option. I don't know how much those would cost. Probably safe to say that it's less expensive than like a giant expensive backdrop. We were talking about painting and you mentioned using sponges. I thought that was a great idea. And I'm sure that you can go on to YouTube and search for just an array of different ways to paint backdrops. That's another great option. I used to do this back in my early food blogging days. I would buy those cheap foam boards like I was talking about. And then I would go to Home Depot and just pick a few paint colors out from their extensive selection of paint. And I would just get a free sample. It's like a tiny little jar, but you don't need much. And then I would just paint my foam board, free paint and $4 foam board. And that was how I got by for a really long time. Yeah. You can make a lot with that. Yeah. And you really can go super cheap. You don't have to dive into the prettiest, most expensive thing. I think backdrops are one of those things that you can go super cheap with. And another thing you were mentioning, the ceramic tiles, there's also, if you can find some that look nice enough, there are those like peel and stick tiles. They're not actually ceramic, but again, they'd be a lot lighter. Oh, I've never thought of that. Yeah, we've used them. We actually lined our cabinets on the inside with them just because it keeps everything a lot cleaner and neater. That's what made me think about it when you're saying the ceramic tiles is you could use those and again, stick them to a piece of foam board or a light piece of wood or something like that. And then those could also potentially be good. Like a lot of people think of the backdrops as in what the food's sitting on. But a lot of times you need something behind it Mm, to look like a nice wall. So that's where you could get those in like a subway tile look. And it would look like the backsplash in a kitchen or something like that. Oh, I love that idea. I actually just wrote that down because that's brilliant. Do you have any other suggestions for affordable backdrops before we move on? No, I think that about covers at least what what we've been using. And as we've been talking, yeah, I've been writing some ideas down here too. Let's move on to lighting. Obviously, the sun is free and great for lighting, but what are some affordable artificial lighting options? I've had a few lights. I I used to do more of um, family and portrait photography when I lived in Florida before we moved to Texas. So I have a few lights that I've had for quite a few years that I got at a pretty good price. I want to say they were like 30, 40 bucks on Amazon. They're just um, stand lights. They come with like a tripod and they have the umbrella on them. So they're not made, they're not the ones made specifically for, you know, what, what we're trying to do, but they, they serve their purpose. They have the light, they have the, the diffuser umbrella on them. And they're kind of nice because since they're on the big tripod, I can put them in the kitchen next to the counter and they're not taking space on my counter and in my way. Yeah, Uh, there are tons of affordable tabletop and just little light options like you mentioned on Amazon. I did a quick search a few weeks ago just out of curiosity. Under $100, I would say easily you can find many options. Just a matter of learning (laughs) how to use the artificial lighting because that's not necessarily intuitive for a lot of people. But the options definitely are out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it does take some practice. But okay, I was just looking it up on my Amazon account. The one that I got is, like I said, a full stand with a light and the umbrella was $25. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's very with cheap. With free prime shipping. I think the only thing we did was bought a better light from, again, from like Lowe's or Home Depot, whatever, one of those, you can buy ones that are more of a true white light than the one it came with. But again, that's in comparison to some of the couple hundred dollar light boxes, it's much cheaper. Right. I think the one I used to use is not available anymore, but it was a just a basic tabletop fluorescent light. It was really small, super easy to store. 
And I used it all the time. Granted, my photography was not like stellar back then, but I think that's just a matter of not learning how to do it. There are some great options available. So what do you recommend for uh, reflectors and diffusers and things like that? So for reflectors, we were just talking about those cheap foam boards. That's what I used. I went to the store, we bought some like two or three of those cheap uh, white foam boards. And then my husband took them in the garage and he basically scored it. He cut it part of the way, not all the way through to cut them in half or anything, but scored it enough so that I can stand it at a like, angle it a bit so that it stands up on its own. Yeah, that's smart. And, and then and then we cut, we took one of them and cut it in half lengthwise and then cut half of that into half. So we have a couple of short ones that I can put at the front to be able to like shoot over it without it getting in the way of the camera. And then we have some tall ones, you know, kind of depending on how much light we need and and where it's at. Foam board is versatile. <laughs> yes, very. We, we use quite a bit of it for all kinds of different things. And then you could, uh, if you want to do one thing that we've been trying to work on lately is doing more of the dark photography. Mm, yes. You know, trying to, trying to keep it really dark. And that's a lot trickier. But I just got a black foam board from the store to be able to you know, to, to not reflect the light, basically, to kind of block out some of the light. That's a whole other beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I said, we're just starting on that right now. It's a trickier one to learn. But yeah, I like that you're experimenting with that. Have you found that the black foam board works well for that? I just bought it two days ago. So we haven't even really... Oh, yeah. two days ago. Wow. <laughs> you haven't experimented much. Yeah. So we haven't really experimented much with that one at all. Um, my husband tried to do a few dark photos and he just kept saying he's like I need something he's like I need something like these foam boards but dark and I was like well you know they make black foam board right so I was at Walmart the other day with my son so I was like all right let's just grab one for daddy and you know play with it that's funny well it is fun to play with different types of uh, reflectors and you know experimenting with your lighting and I think it is one of the fun parts of being a food blogger is you get to learn all of that stuff I like that your husband is digging into and helping you out with photography. That's great. Do you have any other recommendations for reflectors or artificial lighting? Anything along those lines? The only other thing I had was we were talking about the lighting. Like using natural light is, is always going to be better. I mean, it's going to give a more natural look to everything. So we usually take our food into the living room because that's where we have the best light coming in from the windows. But one thing you may need to do sometimes, especially like like I said, I'm in South Texas, the sun can be harsh, is diffusing the light so that you don't get those harsh lines, harsh shadows. We went to Goodwill and found a sheer curtain for a dollar. It's just, you know, just a curtain. It's a big curtain. And I have, you can use like clothespins. I have some clips from the garage that are similar in style to the clothespins, but just a little bit stronger. And we just clip those right to the blinds when we need to. So it was a $1 curtain. It's a little stained. Yeah, well, that's all right. <laughs> You're not seeing it. Right. Your photos won't mind. But yeah, there's, I think, a lot of options that you could use for diffuser. Like, I like the curtain or like a sheet. Sometimes I use a sh just a white sheet. Back when I was doing artificial lighting, I was just using like a t-shirt when things were too harsh. I would just put a t-shirt over it. So yeah, lots of options there too. And I think that's something that not a lot of people think about because we're always just so happy to get sunlight. Like, oh, the sun's shining. But sometimes it does get a little harsh. That's a great recommendation as well. So thank you for mentioning that. Let's move on to props and dishes. I think this is an important one because it is so easy to want to buy every color and every style of every different type of dish you can imagine. 
like the backdrops because it's a business write-off, first of all. And in the beginning, we actually think that we're going to use all of that stuff. In my experience and based on the massive wall of dishes that I have in my kitchen that I never touch. I think it's much wiser not to go crazy right away with buying everything you see. What are your thoughts on this, Stephanie? I agree because I have, I also have those multiple dishes and plates and bowls and all this stuff that I bought them with. I was like, these are so pretty. But then I realized they don't really work with food for the most part, because I have noticed at least me personally. And again, this might just be my style that I like. I like my neutral colors. Almost all my plates that that we consistently use, my plates both, are either white, off-white, some kind of tan, brown, gray, black. Because in my opinion, you want the food to be the focal point, not the plate, not the bowl. So that's why I usually go just for the neutral colors now. I have red and blue and green plates in my cabinet that have been sitting there pretty much since I bought them now because I tried a couple things on them. The red, you know, I might use at Christmas to get some of those Christmas red, you know, photos in there. But besides that, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's easy to, it's, it's better just to start with your your basics, get, get the neutral colors, just because like I said, you want the food to be the star of the photo, not, not the bowl that you put it in. So I have my shelves divided out by color. So I have like my white shelf and then other colors. And my white shelf gets used constantly. Everything in that shelf is clean. And all of the other shelves, I call my dust collectors because I rarely use them. I mean, like you said, the red plate at Christmas and, you know, like the occasional silver plate for something fun and sparkly. But you said it perfectly. The food is the star of the show. We don't need fancy, super colorful, loud props and dishes. And most of the time, white and neutral gets the job done perfectly. I love that recommendation. What are some of your favorite places to find affordable dishes and props? I have actually found my some of my favorite dishes that I use were from thrift stores, Goodwill, um, the dollar store. I've found I've used quite a few things that we've bought at the dollar store. Um, I've also gotten quite a few just going to garage sales in my neighborhood. Because a lot of times, the, the hard thing is like if you go to a regular, like a retail store, like say you go to Bed Bath & Beyond, for example, they're going to want to sell you a whole set of plates. Well, I don't need 10 of this plate. I don't need four of it even. I just need my one plate, maybe maybe two or three to, you know, if you wanted to put a couple things, you know, have a few plates set up. But in general, you don't need the full set of dishes. You're just looking for that one or two, you know, centerpiece ones. So I, one of my favorite things that we have is from Goodwill. They actually, when it, it had the tag of $5 on the bottom and I was willing to pay $5 because I liked it. Well, I brought it up to check out and she said, well, where are the other two pieces? I said, I don't know. These are just, this is, this is the only one I saw. She said, well, there should be two more pieces to this set. So they were trying to find it and the manager was helping, couldn't find it. She's like, okay, well, if you still want it, we'll sell it to you for $2. Oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I was ready to pay five for it. Sounds <laughs> thinking good. it was only just that one piece. So, I mean, you, you can find a lot in, in, like I said, in thrift stores, garage sales, um, those kinds of places. Again, dollar store. I use a lot of um, like placemats and like the, the, I guess there are dish towels, the dish towel size that you would use just to have texture and kind of break up yeah. a little bit. 
So we get those from the dollar store. And there are, amazingly, there are dishes at the dollar store that work very well for food blogging, I found. I discovered that trick a couple years ago. And so that's the first place I go when I want to find another prop that I need or a bowl or something. Just a matter of like finding those cheap avenues. Garage sales you mentioned are so great for that. I've never really tried Craigslist or anything like that for my props and dishes. Yeah, that's good. I, was say, I haven't, but I feel like that would be people trying to like, oh, we're moving. We don't want to bring all of our dishes with us here. We want to sell this whole set. You know what I mean? Like, so, and I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of funny about Craigslist type things. I don't like yeah. <laughs> and meeting people that I don't know. <laughs> I am with you on that. I mean, I'm Absolutely. all about reusing. That's why I like going to garage sales and like I said, places like thrift stores, because then you're reusing rather than buying new yeah. But at the same time, I'm, I'm leery about meeting up with people. Too. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so. And Walmart, too. I mean, obviously, those wouldn't be used, but Walmart is famous for being super cheap. So that's worth checking out as well. Yeah, I have a few things that we've gotten from there. Just again, as long as it's not the whole set. Like I've gotten a couple of um, glasses where they sell them in only like one or two sets. So those are kind of good to have, you know, if you're doing any drink recipes. Yeah. And you mentioned dish towels or hand towels. What about placemats? Do you kind of use those same avenues to find different towels and placemats too? Yeah, I go to the same places. Like I said, especially the dollar store. We hit up the dollar store a lot. Whenever My husband and I have it on our calendar in a couple of weeks once the boys are at school so that we don't have to drag them with us that we're going to go out on a prop hunt day again and go hit our local Goodwill and the thrift stores and the dollar stores and and all that. Go looking for a few things. A prop date. That's fun. I love that. (laughs) I don't know how my husband would react to that. Hey, honey, we're doing a prop date. <laughs> yeah, we, we set ourselves a budget. I mean, last time we went, I set a budget of, I think, $35. And I had enough stuff that it covered my entire kitchen island. Oh, goodness. So resourceful. Do you have anything else on that topic before we move on to some other stuff? I was going to say look for small dishes. You don't have to fill the plate as much to make it look full if it's one of the small ones. That is a great piece of advice because starting out, I bought a ton of big things that I never used for that reason because you just need like one serving, right? And usually your food is like really little. So when it's on a big plate, it looks just ridiculous. Yeah. Some of of my early photos have just like our our plates from the kitchen because I started my food blog just because I love to cook. And I have so many family and friends who would ask me for my recipes. So I literally started it just to have a place for all of them to go. So it was just like, oh, we made this food. Let me snap a picture as it's on my table when I'm about to eat it, just to have a picture with it. So, so yeah, so a lot of my early stuff. And then when I was like, okay, let's get a little more serious about this and take some nicer pictures. All I had at that time was still our regular full-size dinner plate. Yeah, and it all just looks really undersized on that big plate. <laughs> or you're trying to find stuff to fill the plate, and then it's yeah. just cluttered. And yeah, <laughs> another sprig of parsley. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I would suggest too is non-reflective surfaces, because that was one that I did too. My my red plate I was talking about is very reflective. So then you see all the light sources, like you see reflections of the light and you don't get the colors of it. That's great stuff. Let's change gears just a little bit, Stephanie. Time is money, right? So do you have tips for ways we can stay budget-minded by streamlining our food photography processes? I think the the biggest thing is just having a process. Know what order you're going to do things because everybody works in different ways. But like for me, 
like I said, since my husband works with me, it kind of helps streamline things just a little bit. But while I'm in the kitchen cooking, he's getting the, the backdrop set up. So if you have something that's in the oven, like say it's baking for 20 minutes, instead of, you know, waiting for that, you can kind of be starting to set your stuff up, start looking at it. You can get like, sometimes we'll just put a towel or something else on a plate to simulate the food being there and kind of start setting up the plates and see how we want things and where it's going to look, you know, just so you can kind of start that process a little bit before the food's even done. Mm, that's if smart. you have time, depending on, depending on the recipe, you know, if you have the time. And then we just have pretty much every night I take the, every, every night that we photograph on um, Sunday, we did five recipes. Um, I take my camera and I unload it and I upload them. We have a Dropbox since we both, are accessing it from our computers. I put them on Dropbox and I go through and I delete all the extras and the ones that maybe didn't come out right or don't look right, whatever. Then he edits them and then I write about them. You know, so just, I don't think there's any one right or wrong way. Have a process, do it the same every time because then you'll know what's next. You won't be sitting there trying to think, okay, wait, what else do I need to do? Okay. You know, you, you, you can just, it just becomes natural to keep going. And those little pauses that you have to take when you're not prepared really add up and they detract from the whole flow of the process. So I think a lot of that just requires planning. As you were walking through your process, I loved everything you were saying because you've got your plate set up, your scene set up, and then you're ready. So when the food is done, you just move the food over and you take a picture. And then how you remove the extras from the camera, that's great advice because so many of us go through like every photo and it's just unnecessary. So I think just figuring out what process works for each of us and streamlining it and giving it some forethought so that we're making the most of every second of our time. And we were talking about lighting. So by getting it set up ahead of time, you can kind of get a look at what the light is and see, do you need to move somewhere else? You need to move it closer to the window, away from the window, put up a diffuser, you know, it kind of gives you time to look at that before your food's getting cold or starts like the cheese if it's melted starts hardening up or you know like some because there are some recipes that are very time sensitive like you have to be ready right away so by getting stuff set up ahead of time and even if you have to set up a little bit then go cook that still saves you the time of you don't feel like you're rushing if it's one of those recipes that needs to be done quickly before it, it starts to either melt or, you know, whatever is going to go wrong with it. Yeah, I think that's really smart to have kind of a a process in place for that. I take my backdrops. We kind of talked about this earlier, but I just like slide them in and out behind our couch. So having my backdrops in an accessible place really helps me to get set up quickly. And also I like batching my work. This helps me to be really productive for a couple of reasons. Number one, when my setup is out, it's super easy to move recipes in and out and just change out props, etc. And then number two, just getting in that photography flow personally helps me to get in a good groove with photography and just get things done really quickly. Do you have recommendations for camera settings and ways that that can kind of help the process along too? The first thing I tell anybody who ever asks about camera settings and using them is read your camera manual. Every camera is different. Just like we said, everybody's process is different. Everything, every camera is different. So the best thing you could do, even like I said, I've only used Sony Alpha cameras, but still every Sony Alpha I've had is different. Things are in different places. So the best thing you can do is read your manual 
and know, know your camera, know your settings, know where to change your settings. So that's, to me, that's always the first thing. But then when it comes to actually photographing, I always take them in raw, as long as you have a program that can, can work with raw photos, because you have so much more ability to make minor changes on, like on the computer when you're editing than you do if they're JPEG photos. What do you use for editing your photos? Pretty much I only use Bridge, Adobe Bridge. It comes with Photoshop. And there's been some times that I take photos into Photoshop, but I just, I like the camera raw editor that comes with Bridge. But again, it, it works best if you're already shooting in RAW. Like you can edit JPEG with it, but it just doesn't do much. What I'm taking away is that using what we have and just learning it really well is super important if we want to stay not only budget-minded, but also streamlined and efficient. Yeah, I mean, I my, my um, major in college was digital media. So I've been working with Adobe products even since high school. So to me, Adobe is what I know. It's what I'm comfortable with. I know a lot of people use Lightroom. I've never used it. It's also Adobe, but I've never used it and I'm not comfortable in it. So for me, that would take a lot longer. So if you have a program, like I know some people, again, those who shoot with just their iPhone, if they have a Mac computer and have the photos program, that has some editing capabilities in it. I've heard of some people, especially starting out or you know trying to be budget friendly, that use that photos program. Yes. Start with what you have in front of you and kind of build from there. And I'm a huge believer in just getting to know what is in your hands really well and then moving forward to the next step when you're ready. When you're ready to purchase a nice camera, that's great. Do your research and you can do that. But work with what is in front of you and grow from there. I think a lot too can be learned by just going back to the basic principle of practice, right? The more we practice, no matter what equipment we are using, the better we're going to be. That's a huge component in food blogging is just practicing your photography, get your processes down. I can't stress that enough. Just do it a lot. <laughs> do it daily if you have to. Yep. Even my six-year-old, he, he loves when Wade's got the photos set up, he'll come out and he's like, Daddy, I want to help take some photos too. So he, we put the camera around, you know, I have the strap on it, put it around his neck so he's not dropping my good camera. But he he loves helping take photos. They're not blog worthy yet, but I actually, I, I, I'm saving them all up and I want to do a blog post at some point, just kind of like a behind the scenes type thing. And just a fun one was like all of them that he's taken. That's a great idea. You know, just, just kind of show like, I mean, he's six and he's already starting it. He loves taking photos. You can do like the evolution of his photos. And then someday when he's a famous photographer, you can show him how his photos have evolved. That's really cool. And he's only six and he's already showing interest. That's fun. He is. He's six. And, and then my youngest one is four. That's that's where the name Sunshine, because it's S-O-N. Oh, Sunshine, because yes. I have the two boys. My four-year-old, when we were at Walmart the other day, we're walking through the aisles and he's telling me, Mommy... I'm going to make a pineapple and banana pie. I was like, really? He said, yeah. And I need some limes oh. and then some yellow limes. I said, well, those are lemons. He's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I need lemon. And apparently we're putting an avocado and three oh. eggs. Like he's coming up with this whole recipe. I mean, he's, like, he's four. And he's coming up with this whole recipe for this banana and pineapple pie. With avocado. <laughs> With avocado, apparently, yeah. That should go on your blog, Stephanie. 
Yeah. <laughs> future post. That is so fun. I love that. Uh, I have one son who shows an interest in all things food blogging too. And I think it's so fun just seeing how he interprets my kind of day-to-day stuff. And yeah, so I love that. I love when kids take on what we're doing and put their unique spin on it. Pretty much every time I cook, my oldest will say, Mommy, do we need to take pictures? Is this going on? Uh, yes. My boys are like so used to that. Like, oh, we can't eat yet. She has to take pictures. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, is there anything we missed today on all of these amazing topics that we covered? Why don't we kind of touched on like setting up the shot a little bit here and there. One of the biggest things that we've done and it, it helped a lot when you're trying to move food into like certain places um, we've actually found that using either some chopsticks or tweezers really helps you grab those little like you know garnish pieces and move them without getting your hands all over the food and possibly you know messing it up even more so that's kind of something that's really been a big help we have some some wooden chopsticks that we brought home when we went to the Chinese buffet one day. Nice. Continue to wash them and put them back in the cabinet. Yeah. And we use when we're when we're setting up our, our photos. People have the most random stuff that they do, but hey, it worked. That all happens to all of us, I feel like, when we just intend to move something really slightly and then we stick our finger in it and like, oh my gosh, I just ruined that whole thing. So that's a great one. Anything else that you have to share? There's a lot of basics of photography that apply to anything um, that I kind of had written down in some notes here. Like odd numbers usually look better than even numbers when you're doing things. Um, the rule of thirds, stuff like that. But those are all a lot of basic photography things that if you just start researching anything about photography and placement, that those kinds of things will, will really come up a lot. I have one last question for you. For a food blogger who is just starting out, who may not have any equipment, what do you recommend investing in first? Since we kind of said like most people already have the phone that they can take the cameras or take the pictures with, I think really the best thing to start with would either be one or two of the the easy cheap backdrops like we talked about just because you want the food to look like it's sitting on something nice. I started using a backdrop when I take even my process photos now because I noticed I didn't like the look of our the granite countertop we have. I didn't like how it looked. So having just that to even take my process photos on, I feel like has made quite a difference. So I think really one of those cheap backdrop options is your best place to start because more than likely you've got some kind of dishes in the kitchen that will work at least to get you started. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie, it was such a pleasure learning all about photographing food on a budget with you today. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to be here. I really appreciate it. Before you go, share with us a favorite quote or any general words of inspiration for our fellow food bloggers. I think we've kind of already said it in here, but just get started. Just do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, you should see some of my first photos. I looked at comparing one time the very first banana bread photo I took that literally is just a slice of banana bread on a white plate. And that's it. Then I took one, like it's just my progress. Then I took one where you could actually see the loaf of banana bread in the background and it was on an actual backdrop. And then, like I said, my husband took over the photography. He's more creative on that than I am. Now they look really good. But we we had to start. You know, the hardest step is always the first one you take. Absolutely. I love that. You do just need to start somewhere because most likely we're all going to start off lacking in skills and we will grow quickly, right? 
Stephanie has a list of favorite resources relating to today's topic, and those can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Stephanie L. Stephanie, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Probably the best one is my blog. It's sunshinekitchen.com. But like I said, it's sun, S-O-N, for my two boys. Or I'm on Pinterest and Instagram a lot. It's just at the at sunshinekitchen. Awesome. Thank you for listening today, food bloggers, and I will catch you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.